Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Takta, takta, which is, of course, Kurdish, as James knew, for Achtung, Achtung. <laughs> uh, the Kurds actually played a small part in World War II with an insurrection in Iraq in 1943. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course yeah, you yeah. did. Well, I thought um, it was 1941, actually. Oh, well, probably both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I anyway. Mean, the poor old Kurds, they're always, they're always the bottom of the pile. Anyway. Uh, well, there was certainly quite a lot going on in 1941 because um, the Germans were trying to sort of... Um, stir Iraq up. Stir it up, stir it up, and the British went in and, um, and and sorted them out. Anyway, that just shows, of course, what a truly global conflict this was. Now, dear listener, we've been taking note of your comments, and we've decided to have a small experiment. From this week, we have ways of making you talk, is moving to twice weekly. So you get your usual show on a Tuesday morning, full of wild claims about General Gavin and Russian <laughs> tank blunders. Plus, And oh my God, General Gavin, that's really got everyone going, I, hasn't it? I know, it? but you know what? I, I, the, the thing is, is, is I think um, uh, Rob Pulliser made a per- he makes a perfectly good case. Yeah, it's all there in the documentary evidence. It also certainly fits what happened. I mean, this is the, this is the really interesting thing about it. Is is isn't it? It's yet another one of those explanations that arguably explains what happens rather than the received view. Yeah, and yet people they they just can't get their heads but, around it. But General Gavin is is he's you cool, know, holier than thou. I mean, he's, you can't you can't. Bad mouth him. That's just us being jingoistic and pro-British and not not pro-American. Then why didn't he take the bloody bridge? So anyway, <laughs> anyway. So uh, James has sorted out this week's extra episode while on a trip to Italy. So basically, what we're doing is uh, a Tuesday episode and a Thursday episode in which we'll annoy a whole new set of people or rile you afresh. So James, tell us a bit, a bit about Monticello. Yes. Well, you may remember that we we did talk. We touched on this on yeah. kind of one of our early podcasts. I think it was. We were talking about sort of forgotten things, weren't we? Yeah. And we, I was mentioning this this huge massacre of seven hundred and seventy plus people that were killed, and it was the biggest civilian massacre in Western Europe. You know, bigger yeah. than Orador, bigger yeah. than Adichie outside Prague. Um, uh, and I happened to be over there in in the Gothic line last week, and I went up back up to Monticello with a few people. And we suddenly realised it was the 75th anniversary to the day. Really? Yes. It was absolutely amazing. We thought, I mean, I just, you know, when, I, when I'd been planning the trip, I just hadn't put two and two together. And then literally yeah. the day before, we suddenly went, oh, my God, tomorrow's the 29th. Right. That is the day. 
And uh, so we went back up there, and it was, um, God, it was a beautiful day. It was absolutely stunning. And um, there was a bit of, there was a bit going on, but but not that much. Yeah. Um, there was a service at one of the kind of ruined villages, a place called San Martino, in the evening. There was quite a lot of people there for that. But generally, you could just, you know, walk up to these massacre sites, and there was sort of a few people around. But mainly, they seemed to be sort of mountain biking and walking with absolutely no awareness of what had happened. I mean, I've got to say, the people I was with, again, had never heard of it well, before. Well, it's not on people's maps, no, is it? It just isn't. And, and they were, I mean, they were literally dumbfounded. I mean, yeah. you know, you could see their mouths just open. But you know... As I was, I, telling them, I was explaining what was going on but and this what is, happened. But this is, this is indicative of... of I mean, because we we've talked an awful lot about Northwestern Europe, and yeah. and, and after all, we we you know we, we went to Arnhem, we went to talk about yeah. this nine a nine day battle in in Northwestern Europe that is the, one of the I suppose you could use the word glamorous most glamorous events of the of the yeah. of the autumn campaign certainly the the one that that's argued over the most and the toss is argued over over and over again and the italian campaign just isn't on people's radars no. and yet it's as it's easily as dramatic it's easily as it's as important because it's after all it's about running the germans down attriting them wherever you can find yeah, them yeah. which is the thing we've talked about all the since we started since episode 1 we've talked about how that's that's what the allies are trying to do and yet it's just not on people's people aren't Simply aren't aware of it, and like you say, bigger massacre than Oradour, bigger, big, yeah. you know, bigger, bigger atrocity than. Uh, what, what's the most amazing thing is is that the partisan band was, you know, that was it, the Stella Rossa, which was one of the most effective partisan bands, you know, that, that, uh, within the kind of partisan organisation, um, particularly in that summer of 1944. I mean, you know, Kesselring reckoned that just between June and August alone, five thousand German soldiers have been killed, and a further thirty thousand, you know, wounded or kidnapped or whatever. I mean that's a heck of a lot. That's that's well over. I mean that's three well, German that, divisions and, by yeah. by nineteen forty four standards. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we've talked a lot about the French resistance and and how effective yeah. or or not they had been, and how obviously they basically got their skirts up in nineteen forty four when yeah. when, it, when the tide had turned. But that that's going on in Italy. That you that's have, a heck of a lot of people. Well, no, that's that's that's. I mean, well, just in terms of so the yes, in terms of the people affected but how many men were tied up dealing with it you know yeah, yeah, and, exactly and and how actually how effective that is as a well the Stella Rossa are really interesting because there's there's sort of a whole load of different partisan bands and lots of them are kind of way behind you know um there's a lot in the in the Alps for example in the foothills of the Alps and they're yeah. kind of attacking you know German supply lines and all the rest of it and, and really having scraps mostly with the GNR which is a kind of sort of fascist republic republican yeah. militia yeah, no, the black shirt. Because there's, the there's the rump, isn't there, of yes. the Italian so, uh, rump government uh, uh, that Mussolini's. Right. Yeah, exactly. The RSI, the, the, the Italian Socialist Republic, as it's supposed so so called. But but you know, it is absolutely a puppet government. Yeah, and um, they're also attacking kind of SS police battalions, who in northern Italy are mostly um, Italians. Yeah, in those SS police battalions. Yeah, some two hundred fifty thousand people, kind of you know, join. Either the GNR or yeah. the police battalions or, or the new divisions or whatever. So it's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but where they're most effective is just behind the front, and the Stella Rossa are just behind the. You know, they're on the Gothic line, really. Yeah. They're they're just south of Bologna in the mountains there, and either side of the Montessori Massive is these these two river valleys, the Setta and the Reno. And the Setter has got a railway line and a road, and the so, Reno has got you know. So obviously, you know, th that is your key axis for yeah. the Germans' point of view. So they're going back extremely and forth. vulnerable. And yeah, and it's just you know, it's it's completely intolerable for the Germans to have this really pretty effective and large partisan band operating in the back. Now, what happens on 
on the, the, the Rastro Alimento, the cleanup operation to clear the Stella Rossa, is the Stella Rossa is completely finished because they do capture most of their arms, printing press, machine yeah. guns, you know, everything they need to operate as partisans. But very, very few get killed. Somewhere between 7 and 20 are killed. The, so the vast majority of those killed are civilians. And the reason is that the civilians don't think they're going to be killed. Right. They think that when the Germans are launching this clean-up operation, this they're just going to come for the partisans. They're going to come for the partisans. So all the young men and, and sort of middle-aged men, they all go to the top of the hill. They all disperse. There yeah. are firefights with partisans, yeah. but they're able to disperse because they prepared this. Yeah. They prepared for such an eventuality. You know, go to the top of Monte Salvaro, go to the top of Monteserre. And, you know, you, when you're walking around this area, it's very kind of wooded, lots of small oaks and that kind of stuff and, 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 and aspens and, and chestnuts and stuff like that. And, of course, there's a network of little paths and tracks and footpaths and so on and animal tracks that the partisans know intimately yeah and if you're german you've just moved into line kind of you know a few day, a week before and this is your first time on this ground you're simply not going to know that ground so no. the partisan who's escaping has an unbelievable advantage i mean you know if you're at the top of monte salvaro which is a big old peak there's just simply no way as a german you're going to stagger up yeah, there yeah, yeah. not knowing where the hell you are yeah when the partisans so do. rather than fight the partisans, track them down, they punitively um, uh, uh, well, if you take want... out the communities. Because after all, the partisans are reliant on the communities. They need villages, they need places, exactly. they need food to subsist and all that sort of thing, and, and sustenance. Absolutely. So... And, and what, they, what the Germans do, they just kill everything. I mean, they destroy everything. They, they, they burn all the roofs and buildings. They, they take all the food. They take all the supplies. That mountain community, which has been in exactly that same way for centuries just ceases to exist. So it's completely scorched earth and... and totally. And, and they're basically... They, they, it's as if they, rather than behead the insurgency, they chop its body off. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. That's exactly what happens. And, of course, at the end of that, that operation, they haven't got a problem anymore. Yeah. Those partisans have just gone... Yeah, spread yeah, to the four winds. Some of them have gone back to the Allied lines. Yeah. They end up fighting in Fifth Army in the yeah. final battle yeah. with sort of, you know, Italian battalions. Yeah. Others go north and join other partisan bands. So they're not, they're not completely order combat. But, but the problem immediately behind the line that the Germans are facing... Has gone. Has gone. Now, Stella Rossa, yeah, I remember you saying before that they're not, they're not um, necessarily left-wing. No, that's the great the, irony, because, because of course it's a red star. The, there's the, yeah, yes, it's a red star, but they're not... They're, because after all, you've got... And, and this, is, this is part of the part of the end of the Second World War problem for the British government, certainly, is this, like, what the hell do we do? There's, uh, there, there's communists in, in Yugoslavia, there's communists in Greece, there's communists popping up all over and in France and in Italy, but these people aren't communists. No, not at all. Well, so there, are, they... there are some. Okay, so what happens is, is, is immediately after the armistice, yeah. there are these six clandestine political parties that have been in existence but on the sly ever since 1922 and the arrival yeah. of fascism. So what happens on the 9th of September is these six parties, which stretch from the kind of extreme right wing to the communists and obviously extreme yeah. left wing, get together and they go, okay let's form ourselves into a committee of national liberation. Let's agree to put our political differences aside for national unity and try and form a, 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 you know, a new political movement that yeah. gets democracy back on track. Right. And that happens. And that gets, they get supported by the Allies as the Allies push forward. And there is an agreement made that the king will abdicate um, and abdicate his powers um, and that they will form a government. And actually, Ivano Bonomi who is the previous Prime Minister mm. from 1922, 
um, becomes prime minister right. of the of, of the, the unoccupied, yeah. non-German allied bit yeah. of Italy. So there is a thing called uh, AMGOT, which is Allied Military Government of Occupied Territories, right. which they then take away the, the GOT bit and it just becomes Allied Military Government. Um, they are There's a sort of buffer where they're immediately behind the front where they're organising things. Yeah. And then as they progress north, large tracts of territory get handed back over to the democratic, in inverted commas, yeah. uh, um, combined... Party, yeah. national unity, government of these six parties, yeah. of which Bonomo is a prime minister. What they then do is they then establish the CNLAI, the, 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 the Committee of National Liberation in the North, um, in Milan, again, right. clandestinely. In anticipation of the, of the liberation. Yes, but also to try and coordinate the, uh, the partisan operations. And they also create the, um, the, 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 the core of uh, volunteers of liberation, the, the, the CVL. Yeah. Uh, and... Out of that becomes this sort of political... And what they're trying to do is trying to organise the partisans. And they send in political commissars to try and yeah. sort of... You know, it's a bit like the kind of sort of Russian way of doing, yeah. doing things. And they tend to be either from the kind of Action Party or the Communist Party, both of which are very much on the left-wing side of things. Yeah. Now, Mario Mussolini, who is the commander of the um, Cella Rossa, who's known as, uh, you know, his nom de guerre is Lupo, Il Lupo, yeah. the wolf, um, is very against this. And he's very against having commissars. And he doesn't like it. He just says, says, look, there should be only one politics, and that's to get rid of the Nazi fascists. Right. You know, politics is for later. Let's not worry about it. Let's not cloud after, because it'll only lead to infighting. Let's just not bother with it. Let's just all agree. Oh, he's so a we're smart, not very smart individual. Yeah, he's absolutely bang on. <laughs> he's exactly right, yeah. But unfortunately, particularly in August, there's a whole load of arms drops which don't successfully reach them that the Germans intercept. And they're a bit short. And the unified command is saying... We'll give you some supplies if you have the political if commissars. The commissars right. So Lippert goes, oh, okay, fine. Okay, we well, can have the political yeah. commissars, and they've got a communist one, and they've got an action party one. Um, but I want you to kind of really not be too politically overt. Right. And there's a kind of sort of agreement that is that is made. And he's clearly a really charismatic figure. He's 30 years old. He looks a lot younger. He's got, you know, dark, wavy hair. He's not very hirsute. Yeah. Um, but he's got this charisma. He's got natural leadership tendencies. And he is the master. I mean, he, he really, really nails it. The problem is, is that his, the person he answers to is this um, OSS agent called Lino Rocco, yeah. who's an ex, you know, he's an Italian. Yeah. He's working for the, uh, for the OSS. And Lino is saying, actually, what we want you to do is um, start mustering here on Montessori Massive. And the pastimes work really effectively by spreading to four winds, yeah. you know, having little com- companies all over the yeah. place. So that, you know, if, if there is a restaurant you can't kind of... But what he does is he brings it all back onto Montessori because, because Lino Rocco from the OSS is saying it's really important that when the Allies come through, you hold that ground. The last thing we want is the Germans on top of the Montessori Massive high point, you know, having another Monte Cassino yeah, yeah, yeah. overlooking not just the Leary Valley, as it was the case in Monte Cassino, but both the Reno and the Santa yeah. Valley. So you've got to stay there. And everyone's going, oh, Lupo, this is not really, really how This is work. not great. Yeah, this is yeah. not how we work. And he goes, don't worry. Trust me, the, the Allies will be here. You can hear the guns. They're only kind of 12 miles to the south. You know, so it's, it's, it's within touching distance. And he's really confident. You know, and he's intercepted these letters that suggest that the German morale is absolutely shot. But, of course, as we know, that doesn't really matter because... Yeah. <laughs> Germans have got different ways of doing things. Yeah, and also, you know, it doesn't matter whether their morale is yeah. shot. The yeah. bottom line is if they don't stay and fight, they're going to be shot. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, so it's a perfect storm, really. And what happens to him? 
Il Lupo. Wow, you know, if I tell you now, then it's going to spoil it for the for the podcast. <laughs> okay, more of that later this week because we've split the thing in two. Do you see how it works? Um, right. So um, now, James, before we begin in earnest, though, a couple of pieces of correspondence. Jimmy Gregory got in touch to say. Another We Have Ways podcast, keeping me going through another sleepless 24 hours on the Labour ward. Going to make sure our daughter comes out a fully-fledged military historian. Who needs caffeine? We've got World War II talk. Yeah. Good luck, Jimmy and family. We've also had some correspondence about James's superb reading of our recent <laughs> I have sponsor a bit of message. about this, I don't mind telling you. <laughs> you may recall poor old James was required to work deep into the night while in Ibergum with some unexpected results. <laughs> Steve Marley got in touch with some splendid advice. Hi James, you have to listen to your Beer 52 intro at half speed. You'll see what I mean if you do. Loving the podcast, hashtag we have ways. Well, let's have a listen, give it a go. We've got it here. How does the offer <laughs> the free case of sound to you. <laughs> All you need to do is go to Absolutely brilliant. That's so funny. Superb. Right, well, yep. it's time for a short break. Um, I've got a load of those beers in the fridge. Should we, should we <laughs> crack, do well, should I don't we think crack, I better. A, crack a few and do part two? Uh, here's a belting question from Mr. Philip, which will answer when we return. Loving the podcast. Hashtag we have ways informative, passionate and funny. Just amazing. I couldn't agree more. Just wondered, <laughs> when are you going to answer the last burning question of World War II? Why is there a T-34 parked on the old Kent Road? Hold that thought. See you in a tick. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. 
It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Before the break, I read out Philip's question about the reason for the presence of a T-34, which, by the way, is a Russian World War II tank. I mean, you're listening to this podcast. You know what a T-34 is, honestly. Um, On the old Kent Road in London. James, do you know about this tank? Well, I have to say I didn't. The only thing I knew about the old Kent Road was that there was a guy called John Gillard who used to restore and sell very old Citroëns. Um, and actually, that's where I bought mine from <laughs> back in the day. Um, but um, uh, apparently, the tank is called Stompy. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's an old Soviet tank, and uh, it's it's understood to have been involved in the uh, uh, Prague uprising, the Spring uprising. Right. But apparently, it was bought into the UK in 1995 for the film of Richard III, yes, Richard, which was which um, Ian McKellen. Ian, Ian, Ian McKellen, McKellen, where it's yeah. a sort of where he, they're sort of paramilitary, yeah, sort of fascist, fascist kind of sorry. Nazi kind of thing. Black shirt, Richard exactly III, that. Yeah, with tanks and stuff. Um, and as often is away with these things that you know, you kind of finish the film, you don't need that anymore. You know, I mean, but does gets, Ian McKellen really need a T34? Probably not. Well, I don't know. So he then sells it to a local businessman. Um, and was given permission by the council to put it up. Because it gets a different paint job every now and again. Because if you look it up on... If you do Google it, you'll see it. it's had psychedelic paint jobs and it's had sort of um, uh, all sorts of, you know, spiral paint jobs and all this sort of thing. And I think it gets sort of spruced up yeah. every okay. few years. And it's... Um, it, 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 I mean... When you end up down there and you say, "Oh yeah, it's, oh, it's a T thirty four. It's a T thirty four eighty six as well, I believe." Okay, so it's the one okay. with the it's the one, the Tiger Buster. Nice, yeah. Um, but um, I mean, do you think the council knew that it was a T thirty four tank? I mean, do you think they just said tank? The pretty we could pretty have been a water tank, a septic tank. tank, tank yeah, maybe. I mean, the thing is, the thing is with that is that's one of those sort of landmarks. If you tried to get rid of it. If you tried to put one in now, if I tried to park a Sherman tank at the end of this road... Yeah, there'd be problems. There'd be big problems. But you leave it there 15 years and it was going, oh, you can't get rid of our Sherman tank. What are you doing? We love our Sherman yeah, tank. We love our Sherman tank. Hands Actually, Sherman I, was, tank. Um, I was with a guy um, uh, on Thursday who has just bought a Sher- uh, T-34 and he's got it up and running. Really? And guess what? It's going to be at Short Valley History Festival Shut next up. June. Really? Yeah, and we can play on it and we can have a go What's in it. What's provenance? Do you know, what do you know about it? Um, I don't know its provenance, but I know it, it's, it's, it's served. running. It's served. It's World War II. And he'd make the point because he was saying it's got number 170 stamped on it. And he thought, oh, okay, you know, that's really rare. And then they went, no, 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 that's the mark for that month. Bloody hell. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's probably good. Anyway, tank it, it's, it's being, yeah, tank grad. So, anyways, it's being done up in Oxford at the moment. It's going to be coming back down to Wiltshire um, in the new year. And then it's mm-hmm. kind of 
let's come and have a play. He so we, we can go down to it and have a look at it. synchro mesh on it. That's all we I'm can actually say. go down and, and have a play with it before the History Festival. We can I play have, in the New Year. I have year driven one. Have you? A long time ago. Okay. Um, uh, they're pretty simple? Um, they're very simple. In fact, I mean, there's the whole thing. You need a hammer to put it in gear and all that stuff. Do you? you yes, you did need. You I did really need, did. I did need to hit the gear lever with a hammer to get it into first, yes. <laughs> really, really, grind like, really grind it in. Yeah. And that, but then, you know, but you get the, it's not, the thing is, is it's not designed for um, an Oxford graduate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's designed for a very, I mean, are we going to be able to get in here? I mean, that's the point. I mean, because they're designed yeah, they for, because like, I think quite, if you were more than yeah, kind so, of five foot six, no, you it was be pretty, in it, un, right? it was pretty, pretty, I mean, I had to have the hatch open. It, I, I couldn't right. be in there with the hatch closed. Right. Um, uh, it's certainly a lot less roomy than a Sherman, for instance. And, yeah. they're, and they're, they're not roomy. And no. We're both tall. Yeah. And it's pretty, pretty grisly being in those. Anyway, so you've got a question. question. That's you've really question. And we're also, we're going to, um, I think with Chalk Valley, the idea is, is to get a female tank crew. I think this is officially our first mention of the Chalk Valley History Festival. It won't and be we're, the what, last. We're, nine months out? It won't be the last. I mean, oh since my God, the last one, of next year, of the 2020 Chalk Valley History Festival. Big plans, big plans. I'm having a whole, okay, I've just agreed this this week. We're going to have, part, we're, we're, we have these sort of specials at the Chalk Valley History yeah. Festival. And this sort of, you know, satisfies me um, whilst at the same time not knowing all yeah. the kind of punters that don't want kind of Wolves of War World War mm. II during their history festival so we're going to have a 1940 day which will be as you know you'll buy a ticket and that'll give you access to every single talk and thing that we do and we'll do that I think on the Thursday of the history right. festival then on the Friday we're going to have a 1945 day Oh, and then there'll be stuff going on all, all over the weekend. We're going to have you, a oh, we're going to have a light age deta- we're going to have a light aid detachment so we're right. going to be doing up a Cromwell tank all week Oh, amazing. Did you see um, World on Fire, by the way? No, I haven't. I've downloaded it. I can't wait. Okay. Uh, yes, I no? won't say a word. I won't say a word. But the only thing that struck me is, you know, you were talking about anniversaries in part one. Yes. Like that it was the 75th of Monticelli. 17th of September, right? Yep. Isn't just, that wasn't, isn't just the 75th anniversary of Arnhem. It's the 80th anniversary of the Soviet Union invading Poland. That was the day that the, the mm. Soviet Union took its chunk of Poland. Yes, yes, yes. And moved in. Yeah. And, and... I mean, the interesting thing about World on Fire, and of course, all the stuff we've talked about before, is that the Soviet Union giving basically Germany a free pass and then invading Poland and yep. then um, de- setting and about, doing and setting about destroying Poland in yep. the same way that, that the Germans did. Um, it doesn't come up in World on Fire, that's all, that's all I'm saying. But it's just interesting okay. that that's the anniversary, yes. that the 17th of September isn't, isn't just amazing. Arnhem. Oh my it's, God, and we just completely And we completely that. passed so it, we, completely we are falling. whistled overhead. Yeah. Because, Which is bad, because that's, we're then sort of conforming to type and doing what everyone else did. Yep, Poor which you were trying to not do, aren't we? One in four <laughs> Poles killed in the Second World War. What? One in four Poles killed. Full stop? Full stop. I mean, that is just... So you could argue that what the Second World War happened in Poland more than anywhere else. Or, it affected Poland. It affected Polish people more than any other nation. These happenings are in Poland because this because because you it starts there. The Holocaust happens there, yep. so, so which is the sort of signature event of war aim of the Nazis. Yeah, and then the. And then the Soviet pushback happens there as well, and the establishment of the Eastern Bloc and the post-war status quo. So it's Poland, more than any other country, that is where World War Two yeah. goes down, as it were. So, yeah, and compared to that, you know, Britain is is uh, one in eighty-eight, something like that. Yeah, one in four. 
104 to 108. Anyway, you have a yes, question. Yes, I've got a question. Okay, and I know God, you, you, there, we you think that only... there, and heavens, but there we oh, go. No, that's yes. quite a big one. I mean, yeah. that's quite a good point. Yeah. Um, I mean, you always make the point that only old people use email, but, but actually <laughs> this is from a youngster. Oh, right, okay. This is Oscar What, they're in their Baldwin. early 70s? <laughs> Mind you, it is being sent through by his dad. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, his dad, Glenn. Um, now, Oscar's question is, do you think that Alan Brooks' contribution is overlooked? And if so, is this due to a weak media image? That's a well, very good question. Um, I don't know if Oscar is Oscar, is it? Oscar, yeah. I don't know if he's Oscar seen Baldwin. I don't know if he's seen Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Um, and this isn't really a spoiler, but at the end of Game of Thrones, the official history of what happens in Game of Thrones gets written up. And Tyrion Lannister, yeah. who has been a, a major character throughout the show, in fact, the central character, arguably, who's been central to all the events, has made an important important decision, strategic, tactical, top to bottom, cultural yep. decisions. He's possibly the most important character in the whole thing. They present him to the, the official history and he's not in it. And that's Alan Brooke. Alan Brooke is Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> but, the point, but the point of Alan Brooke, the point, the point of a guy like that is he... Is they don't get in that they don't. He wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in having a media profile. No, was he? Because no. because he because he wasn't that kind. He, he wasn't that kind of leader. Monty knew he had to have a media media profile. Yeah, but as did um, all the senior. As did, as did all the senior field commanders. Yes, the kind of the kind of you know because Brook is Brook is essentially the ultimate backroom guy. Yeah. Well, you know, and Marshall's the same, and I would say that Marshall's in the same category. Really. Yeah. You know, I mean, Marshall was desperate to be supreme allied commander in in ETO. Yeah. You know, he has to take that on the chin when Roosevelt says, well, you know, I think Eisenhower's really the man. Well, you know, who, wanted, is, who is Marshall's well, prodigy? Well, because he wanted Marshall in Washington. Because he, because, of course. Because he, he yeah. said, I, I, I need so, you So I think I actually the two, are, the two are quite, the, 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 quite the similar. paths are quite quite similar. You know, and Brooke is very much a kind of not to blow his own trumpet kind of person. Yeah. I remember coming across this amazing, um, and I do think, do think to a certain extent Monty is, is an exception in the British rule. Um I remember Giles Lampson, who is Miles Lampson's son, yeah. who was the ambassador to Cairo. Yeah. And British ambassador to Cairo. Giles Lampson is um, a British aide to Mark Clark. And he says, you know, it's just extraordinary, all these American generals. You know, the press come round and they have to be photographed only on a certain angle. You know, Clark famously would only be photographed on one side. He'd always take his helmet on and put his field cap on, yeah. you know, before he had a photo taken. Um, and he said, you know, they all absolutely obsess over their scrapbooks. You know, they all have, all of them have scrapbooks. And he wasn't singling out Clark at all. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, personally, I find it all a bit kind of, you know, a bit distasteful. But, but you know, on the other hand, if that's what it takes to keep you know, yeah. keep, keep the front in the in the American public eye, then I guess that's that's what you have to do. And, you know, it, it's absolutely the case that you do. You know, in the case of Mark Clark, you know, what he's trying to do is he knows that, that Italy is a secondary theatre. Um, yeah, so you know, he's desperate to, to keep it, it. He's got to pump it up, and he's the figurehead of that. You know, yeah. he's the leading man. And, and having a big personality leading it, and someone who's photographed a lot, that's all Where part is Brooks and interested in bird spotting and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, and, and, and looking hawkish. But, yeah. but, but, but it's just... First of all, it's just not part of the British DNA. I mean, Dempsey's not a self-publicist. No. Alexander's not a self-publicist. No. Um, Monty is because he kind of gets it in a way that the other British com- field commanders are kind of sort of catching up. Slim gets it. Yeah. Slim gets it completely. Man, Batten gets it. Um, so Monty's not alone, but they are kind of rare, I think. Whereas the Americans is absolutely just part of what they do. But Brooke, as you say, he's not a field commander. He, he's, he's kind of... It's just, it's just 
not in his nature to want to push himself forward. But secondly, it's just not necessary. Yeah. You know, that's not what it's about. And these guys, th- their sense of honour and duty, this is something that is absolutely inbuilt into their DNA as officers in the British Army. Yeah. You know, it, it still is to a certain extent. But, 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 you, but you know, absolutely but was But do you then. also think, could it, could it be, this again is part of First World War legacies, that generals... Not the First World War legacy, but interpretation of the First World War that happens in the 30s, in the 20s and the 30s. Of, you know, that after Lloyd George saying that the generals are incompetent and if only, if only they'd listened to him, the war would have ended sooner. All that, all that politician stuff that went on after the First World War. Because, you know, you get basically Haig going from being someone people revered, basically, to someone whose name was Mud. Yeah. And that happens, that happens quite quickly in the late 20s and 30s, sort of mutate yes. into disgust at generals. Yes, yes, yes. Because so Haig's a complete hero to start yeah, with. Yeah, Haig is a complete hero to start with. But, and so, so maybe, maybe part of it, that is, is, a, is, a, is a kind of cultural expression of the fact that generals, generals have got a bad name for themselves. So what you don't want to do as a general, has put your head above the figurative yeah. parapet, as it were. I've never thought of that. That's a really good point. Maybe, 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 maybe that's part of it. Because, yeah. because, because, because after all, Monty rubs as many... Pi- I mean, a lot of the reasons why people don't like Monty is precisely because he did court publicity and he rubbed an awful lot of people up the wrong way yeah. who felt he shouldn't be doing Shooting that. Shooting a line, it's sort of a bit in for a dig. Exactly, exactly. And you do... Yeah, that, which is a very, very... British way of putting it, infradiglas, what's got to be Well, I wrote, I wrote that in my Normandy book and, and the um, US editor came back and just said, that's not a phrase that we understand in America. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand the irony of that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but maybe that's it. But, but then, Brooke, but then because Brooke, Brooke is a figure that has emerged in the literature, isn't he? You know, these, these well, diaries, get, his diaries get published and all that sort of thing. Yes. And, uh, and, and I think and, actually his so reputation is pretty good. No, his, mean, reputation's, his reputation, he's, he has an excellent reputation. In fact, now, but he, he sort of didn't exist before... His reputation was kind of um, uh, not resurrected because it hadn't because it hadn't died. <laughs> anyway, well, that's it for today, folks. We hope Oscar that answers your answer your question. Basically, he's Tyrion Lannister. Remember, we've got an extra edition of the pod on Thursdays. James visits Italy to retell a brutal story. Keep your comments and questions coming using the Twitter hashtag #WeHaveWays or by email if you're ancient or very young, as it turns out. It's either kids or pensioners who use the email. We have ways podcast at gmail.com. Yep, see you all soon. Cheerio. Cheerio.